And I know that my days on earth are numbered. So I've already started preaching and preparing and drilling and things that our church, when I die or if I die, or if I am forced to retire for medical reasons, I've started saying you can't take a preacher at his word. I believe in local church. Oh, well, he believes in local church. Ask him what he believes about local church. And the answers you get may not be what they expected. Same thing with, you know, election. Oh, I believe in election. Oh, that's wonderful. What do you believe? Oh, I believe that God looked down and saw who was going to be saved and who wasn't going to be saved. And I elected those that were going to be. Now, and, and I tried to drill that into our church. And I still wonder sometimes if, if they really got it. President Reagan said frequently, freedom is only one generation away from loss. And I'm afraid truth sometimes is only one generation away from being lost. I have seen it, seen it, and seen it many, many times. Some of you may have noticed I didn't have my, I don't have my cane this morning. Uh, several things will affect my neurological being and my legs. One of them is sitting for a long time. Uh, I get to where I can't walk. So last night, or yesterday afternoon, we left here. We went to Walmart to pick up a couple of things. And um, I got a hold of the cart so I could have something to hold on to. And we walked forwards and back, left and right. And we walked and walked and walked and got the circulation back in my legs and built up some strength. And when I don't need the walker, or I'm sorry, the cane, I don't like to use it. I hate that thing. And uh, I only carry it sometimes because, honey, you're going to fall again. It's like, okay, okay, to keep peace. But uh, I'm feeling much better. I slept real good last night, and, and, and I appreciate that. Recently, well, actually several times recently, you know, I have been through a lot. My arm is built out of more steel than anything. My Both of my knees are rebuilt with steel. And it's like, you know, I've had major surgeries. Uh, I was supposed to die several times. Uh, in fact, they thought for sure I was gone a couple of times. And my wife already scheduled the party and I got better. And it's like rats, you know. But I find that we forget how good we've got it until we find somebody like Brother Nathaniel. My shoulder was completely shattered, but I have a shoulder. And I found that no matter how bad we think we have it, I remind myself of what Jesus endured. 
I remind myself of men like Brother Hilly, Nathaniel Hilly, and other people that are far worse than I am. And it makes me almost ashamed. And I get down and thank God, and I pray for them that God's grace will be with them. I told Brother Hilly before he started preaching that I would be praying for him. And when you got over the 1 Corinthians 13, I started praying, Lord, shut him up. <laughs> you covered a couple of points in my message, but I'm going to bring it out a little bit different. And besides, God knew this crew needed both of them. So uh, it's no accident that he covered a couple of my points, and I will take a slightly different approach, but turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of angels, I'm sorry, with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not love. The word love is, is I'm sorry, the word charity is, it meant love when it was translated. But over the years, the word has changed meaning. So that nowadays, when you think of charity, you think of some organization that gives out free food. Goes back to the history, what was going on. When it was translated, what did it mean when it was translated into the King James? And everybody that I know agrees when it was translated, it meant love. Not just any love, but God's type of love. Moving on, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, a lot of martyrs during the dark ages were burned and beheaded. And we think, oh, what great Christians they must have been. Though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Here's the description of charity or love. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. 
charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Going to take just a couple of seconds. Context, context, context. What's the theme of chapter 13? That's a hard one, folks. I mean, come on. The theme of the whole chapter is love. And, and I had a dear friend of mine point this out. Why in the middle of a chapter talking about love would he suddenly jump ahead and say, on earth we know in part, but when we get to heaven, then, you know, it, the context is love. We only know a little bit about love right now. Oh, I love my wife. She has put up with me for over 51 years. Everybody has already granted her sainthood for all putting up with me. But we only love in part. But when that which is perfect, when we get that perfect love, that godly love, then this will seem like child's play compared to that mature or perfect love. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I talked about love as a kid does. Had no idea what love was. But when I became a man, I stopped thinking of love in childish terms. Now we see through a glass darkly. I only understand love. I only see love in a darkened way because I'm still in a depraved, sinful body. I can't see love as God does. I see love from the perspective of a sinful, wicked, depraved body. So I see through a glass darkly. I don't see. We talk about God's love. I can't see that yet because I'm blinded in this wicked body. Amen. Now abideth faith, hope, charity. But the greatest of these is charity. Father, we come. Lord, as we... Try to speak your word. I, I acknowledge I have not mastered what I'm going to preach. So I preach it as your word, not mine. I preach it as your command and not my fully comprehending or fulfilling it. May we receive it as a challenge of what we strive for. In Jesus' name, amen. For the sake of time, I'm not going to give a lot of history here, but I will say very quickly that being from up north, 
I don't know what you folks down here are like. Up north, we have really bad sinners. When we first moved to northern Kentucky, I would get up in the morning and read the news to see if anyone had been killed in Cincinnati. We're right across the river from Cincinnati, Ohio. Now I get up to see how many people were killed. When we first moved there, I worked with the police department for, well, two different agencies for a total of about 25 years. We could go an entire shift and not have one robbery, not have one murder, not have... I mean, the biggest thrill of that ship would be pulling over a speeder and thinking, wow, we got a speeder tonight. Now, Florence has become what Cincinnati used to be. We have murders, robberies. We have, you know, rapes. We have, you know, all kinds of things that take place I don't know if they happen down this far south or not. This is the Bible Belt. So I think everybody down here is sanctified, filled with the Spirit. You have no murders, no rapes, no robberies. But I find that no matter where I am, people don't understand and practice the kind of love that Paul describes here. Yes. Amen. I, I've been called, and I'm sure some of you other pastors may have, I've been called to a home, sometimes church members. And I go there having no idea why they asked me to come. And I get there, and we sat down, and they say, we wanted you to be the first to know we're getting a divorce. Did you ever, okay, it's like, why? This is the answer I get more than anything else. We fell out of love. And I look at him and say, there's no such thing. You don't fall out of love. It's a decision to stop doing the kind of love that Jesus said. And, and I remember one couple that particularly, for some reason, they, they deserved each other. They did. If there's ever two people that deserved each other, I wouldn't have given a plug nickel for either one of them. But they looked at me, and I can't imagine why on earth she married him. And I couldn't imagine why on earth he married her. But I looked at him and I said, looked at her and I said, did you love him at, in the beginning? Oh yes, I loved him. Why did you love him? He used to send me flowers. He used to bring me candy. He used to tell me he loved me. He used to do things. And I looked at him, why did you marry her? Oh, you know, and, and, and it's like, you know what? You didn't fall out of love you killed it because you stopped doing 
the very things that you fell in love with to begin with. Men, that's a lesson for all of us. Once you say, I do, it's not over. It's just the beginning. So many couples, oh, oh, I am in love. What they really mean is I'm in lust. They have no idea what love is. My wife and I, every once in a while, she backslides and I have to beat her back in, in, in place. You know, she backslides and it's my responsibility to get her unbackslidden. If you believe that, I've got some swamp land down in the Gulf of Mexico. But you know what? We anticipate when I was in the hospital for five and a half weeks, I was in rehab for a couple of months. And then when I came home, I still couldn't do a whole lot. She waited on me, hand and foot, took care of me. That's love, not lust, not doing so many things the world thinks. That's commitment, which I tell couples, What's the secret to a 51-year marriage? And, and I agree with your first point. First and foremost, true love must have Christ as the center. In our case, commitment. When we got married, we took divorce off of the table. No matter how bad things got, no matter what happened, I don't care what happened, I don't care anything, divorce was not an option. And so for the first several years, we, somebody said, did you, did you ever think about divorcing her? Absolutely not. Murder-suicide several times. But divorce was not an option. So finally we sat down and we said, you know what? We are stuck with each other. Let's see if we can work some things out. Which brings me, my third point is in marriage there has to be compromise. Being perfect like I am it's really hard to compromise when she wants something different. But out of love, love is, I don't get everything I want, and she doesn't get everything we want, but we get what each other loves and is willing to give. So many people think love is a feeling. Oh, I... I, I feel like I'm in love. Well, if you go by feelings, the flu with, you know, having the bad case of the flu with 103 temperature is a lousy feeling. Has nothing to do with love. Either way. So very quickly in the moments we've got left, let's look at what Paul wrote. Verses 1, 2, and 3, he gives the superiority of love. Now, I, I've met preachers, and I've not seen it here yet among you, brethren. But I've seen preachers that were 
proud of their eloquence, their tongues. I, every once in a while, and I did it a few weeks ago, I'll use some of those great big terms just to show our church I'm really not a total ignoramus. I know eschatology. I know, you know, ecclesiology. I even know, you know, the, um, and I just forgot it. I said I know it and forgot it. I, I know, you know, some of those great big uniformitarianism. How many of you know what uniformitarianism means? You know it, you just don't know the word. I know some of those big words, but I never use them when I preach. Well, because Paul said, I would rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 that nobody understands. But you've met people that, and I am always leery of these people when they, I need to lose some more weight. I am Dr. So-and-so. Whoopee! Though I speak with the tongues of men, I am eloquent. I am great in speech. I am a great orator. And I can speak an angelic language. I don't know what that is, but, but if I don't have love for the people that God has given me, If I don't have love for the people that I'm speaking to, I'm probably doing it in pride, Brother Hilly. And I am nothing. I'm like sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. I'm a nuisance. I'm an annoyance. Though I have the gift of prophecy... And I understand every verse of Scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 21, I think, 22. I I know every mystery in the Bible. I have all knowledge of the Bible. Ask me any question you want to ask about the Bible and I know it all. We've got a couple attending our church right now, and they're already planning to join when I get back. How old is, is Noah? Eight. Eight-year-old boy that can ask questions that would stump anybody. I mean, for eight years old, this kid comes up with questions. It's like four years in Bible school, and I never heard that. So the other night he asked me a question, and, and it's like, hmm, that's a really good question. He said, oh, I, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to ask the question. And I said, son, you'll never learn if you don't ask questions. But though I have all knowledge, and I, I have to tell people, it's like, you know what, I don't know, but I'll find out and get back to you. But if I had all knowledge, everything, if I knew all about science, if I knew all about genetics, if I knew all about geology, if I knew all about everything, if I understood a little about computers, 
If I knew everything, if I have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Now he describes it. And by the way, how many of you know English? Some of you. You know the difference between an adjective and an adverb. Everybody know the difference between an adjective and an adverb. An adjective describes a person, place, or thing. That is a red, blue, and I can't, I'm colorblind, so I don't know the other colors. That is a red shirt. Red is an adjective. It describes a thing. You are a tall man. I'm still describing a person, place, or thing. That's an adjective. An adverb describes action. Chapter 13 from verse 4 down through verse 8 are adverbs. Let that sink in. They're adverbs. They describe Action. Charity puts into action patience. Now, I got to keep that right there because I, I could go. It took me about an hour, to hour and a half to preach these at our church. My wife is saying, oh, no. Sometimes, especially when I'm sick, I am not the most patient man in the world. You know, when you're hurting all over and you're sick and you just feel terrible and you push the button for the nurse and it takes her three seconds to get there, that's two and a half seconds too long. But real love behaves in a manner that is patient. Love is kind. You know what that means? It not only says kind things, it puts kindness into action. It's being kind to others. It may be as simple as you men... Young men, listen to me. You always open the door for the lady. You know, my dad drilled that into me. You be kind to other people. I've seen people kinder to their dogs than they are to other people. We ought to be do acts of kindness for other people. Not only that, but it isn't envious. If you get a brand new car, I rejoice with you, brother. I'm glad God enabled you and God blessed you. I tell everybody, God gives me as much as he knows he can trust me with. Amen. So if God gives you something, he, may, he knows I couldn't be trusted with it. So I give it, I'm glad I rejoice that you can be trusted with it and that God gave it to you. 
Jealousy ought never to be part of our conversation. Then he goes on. It vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. Have you ever met somebody that, you know, oh man, I have a bad headache today. Well, let me tell you, I have a headache that is so, you know, I had the flu last week. You know what? I had the flu worse than you had it. They always have to puff themselves up and promote themselves. I met a gentleman a couple weeks ago. And, and I told my wife, I, I hope I never run into him again. For the entire time, all he did was tell me how perfect he was, how professional he was, all the great things he had done. He's never made a mistake. How perfect and wonderful. And, and I'm just sitting there thinking, buddy, you don't know. You're really telling me how ignorant and dumb you are. All he did for the end, I mean, it was about 20 minutes or so. All he did that entire time was tell me how perfect he is and how great he is and how wonderful he is. That's not, well, it is love, but it's self-love, not the giving kind of love. Doth not behave itself unseemly. I'm told The word unseemly means vulgar or something that would bring about shame. I don't want to do anything that would embarrass my wife or bring shame upon the Lord's church. It is is not unseemly. It doesn't do things that would be vulgar or bring shame and disgrace. Go on. It seeketh not her own. Some people's first thought is. What's in it for me? How can I turn this around. To be about me. Moving on very quickly. It isn't easily provoked. How fast. How long does it take you to get mad? Well, you know what? That preacher didn't shake my hand. And they will pout on that for six months. Now, it, it takes a lot to get me mad. Thinketh no evil. That's a, I, I like that shirt, brother. That's a, that's a nice shirt. There are some people that would take a compliment and twist it around. I wonder what his secret, I wonder what he really meant. I wonder what he really thought. I meant exactly what I said. There's no hidden evil meaning behind it. We could solve a lot of church problems if people would just stop Thinking that because I say something, that I meant some hidden evil meaning behind it. We got a lady got mad at me and left our church because I I gave her a compliment on on the piano. She took it as she thought I was putting her down. And I apologized and apologized. 
I told her it was a compliment. She got so mad she left the church. And I said, good riddance. We don't need that. I, and, well, I'm selling Sister Hilly this morning downstairs. Isn't it terrible when you have to walk on eggshells? Because you never know what certain people are going to get mad about. So you're always on eggshells wondering what you're going to do or what you're going to say that's going to offend them. This thinketh no evil. You know what? You say, I don't like your shirt. Well, my wife does. I don't really care what you think. You know, I'm not going to think evil. I'm not going to get mad. Then it rejoiceth not in iniquity. Solomon put it this way. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. Let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and said, Whether one member suffer, suffer, all the members suffer with it. It's one verse I use frequently against mega churches. They got we got a church, five thousand people average on Sunday. If one of them suffers, do you think the other four thousand nine hundred and ninety nine suffer with them? In our church, if one member's sick. Everyone knows it. Everyone pitches in. Everyone suffers with them. You can't do that with 5,000 members. But he goes on, beareth all things. Believeth all things. Not gossip. I don't believe gossip. Somebody comes and tells me that, well, who do I want to pick on? Brother Gilbreth. Somebody said, do you know he's a thief? No, I don't, and I don't believe you. I don't believe you. That's gossip, unless you've got proof. But when it comes to the truth, I believe it even if it hurts. I believe it even if I don't fully understand it. It endureth all things. Love endures. I mentioned my wife and I have been married over 51 years. Some of you aren't even that old. But you know what? We both have endured a lot in that time. Marriage is not always ice cream and cherries. Marriage sometimes is commitment. Sometimes marriage is enduring. My wife likes certain things that if I never set foot in them again, I wouldn't be any sadder. But I endure them because my love for her, she enjoys them. And because she enjoys them, I endure them. And sometimes I actually learn to like them. Isn't that amazing? Well, who are we to love? Brother Gilbert's book gives you three things. I'm going to give you a couple of extras. Certainly, we're to love God with our everything we have. First and foremost, 
God must be first. Secondly, we love our neighbor as ourselves. Who is my neighbor? We just lost our next door neighbor, 53 years old. They had these humongous dogs. One of them knocked her over, shattered her leg. She got a blood clot, died from the blood clot. Fifty. She's the neighbor that if you had, get to pick, she's the one you would want to pick. But the great, the good Samaritan, your neighbor is anybody that is in need. So we love our neighbor. We love our spouse. We love our enemy. Now that one's a little tough if you think love is that warm, fuzzy feeling. I don't have that warm, fuzzy feeling toward my enemy. But if you understand, love is action. It's not feeling. One last example. When we moved to Florence, our next, well, we lived right next door to a single mom. But beside him was another gentleman and his wife. I don't know why, but that guy did not like me from the day we moved in. So I decided one year, I had a snowblower, I'm going to go over, and I'm go I've always preached love your enemy, I'm going to put that in action. And I cleared this driveway off. And that simple little thing, we became best friends. By putting love in action. I didn't wait for a feeling. I did it because God said, love your neighbor, and we became friends. God bless you, folks.